Welcome to the Round 6 Podcast, a weekly roundtable discussion featuring a variety of automotive subjects, interviews, special guests, and stories, hosted by the Round 6 Gearheads, Brian Stupski, Alex Welsh, and Brad King. Here on episode 49, all the way from freezing cold Pennsylvania, the man behind Alumacraft Grills, Mr. Dan Baker. Welcome to the Round Six Podcast. I'm Brian. I'm Brad. I'm Alex. I'm Dan. There you go. Hey, joining us tonight on a uh, big episode 49, uh, Mr. Dan Baker, and you may know him uh, from Alumacraft Grills. How are you, sir? I'm doing excellent tonight. How are you guys? Great. Doing good, man. Doing good. Outstanding would be the word I'd use, man. I, uh, <laughs> You know, it, it's so good to have you on, and I'm going to make the public apology to... Uh, we got so sidetracked and messed up with our schedule at Grand National Roadster Show... You were supposed to be on there in uh, the fabled round six experience, and uh, yeah, we we totally blew you off. <laughs> it's okay. I just we... missed signing the table. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was, was going to stop by and scribble on it while you guys weren't there. And, you know, you should have. We got to get you to sign it. I mean, we had that. Uh, it was such a mess. I mean, we learned a lot at that place, but. Um, Man, it is good to finally have you on because we've talked about this what since the SEMA show. Yep. Yeah. Big time there, yeah. man. And dude, you. And speaking of shows, man, this past weekend your stuff was everywhere in Detroit. Yeah, I, I have. I'm fortunate that I'm I'm blessed that I get to work with some really top shops in the nation. Uh, I did the grill insert on Dave Lane's Vicky that he built for Phil and Deb Becker. And, you know, Dave's awesome to work with. Phil and Deb are just super, super people. I uh, got to do a whole bunch of parts and pieces and turn a whole bunch of big blocks of aluminum into worthless chips for uh, Mike and Talbert Goldman uh, and Sonny Freeman and his wife, Debbie. You know, they're just salt-of-the-earth people and uh, just super, super great people. Plus, I mean, I had parts on uh, Nichols Paint and Fab, had a 63, 64 Riviera there, did a bunch of parts for it. Uh, plus there's a bunch of other cars there. Uh, Mark Giambalvo had a 67 C10 truck there, did the grill and a tailgate bar for it. It just, I, yeah, it was, uh, I, it's, I, I'm blessed that, you know, 30, 31 years later, I'm an overnight success. So it's a beautiful yeah. thing. <laughs> awesome, man. Yeah. Yeah. Alex, that, uh, Mark's truck is, uh, the one that you loved at the SEMA show. Wait, wait, oh. the blue one? No, that was That's me. Brad's favorite. That I love it too. my truck. That's oh. right. That was you. That was yeah, me. I, I was right there with him, though. That's a beautiful truck. I love yep. that truck. Yep, it's a sweet little pickup truck. I'd park it in my garage. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. I'd come and take it from your garage. Um, <laughs> I know where a shop is. Does that count? <laughs> so do Perfect. I. Yeah. Start. <laughs> and they're good people. Yeah, really oh yeah. People. Mark and Heather are super. Love those guys. So, man, you, uh, so that, that's kind of a far departure from what I think most people kind of came to know you for doing. Like, I mean, you kind of, you made your name really big in, in the, uh, the street rod and hot rod world. Yep. Yeah. We've been building grills. Like I said, we started, my father started a business back in 88. Uh, the funny story behind why we have Alumacraft Street Rod Grills as it is, 
Uh, he had built my, – my father's been a hot rodder for years. I mean, when I say years, he drag raced in the 60s. He had a 1933 Dodge Coupe with a slant six and three side draft Webers and a four-speed. And he used to drag race it. And round about you – know, that was probably 62, 63, somewhere in there. He started drag racing. Uh, I come along in 65, and I had two older brothers. Uh, so around 68 or so, he quit drag racing and put the 33 Dodge Coupe on the road. And so we actually attended our, – our first street rod nationals that we attended was Memphis in 71, which was NSRA's second street rod nationals. Oh. So you did so, grow up in this in this stuff. Right? You've been in it from the beginning. Literally grew up in the industry. I mean, I think I was five when I rode the rumble seat with my two brothers to Memphis. Um, right and then, but anyhow, fast forward to '88. Uh, my father had built a Downs '33 Vicky and hit a speed bump and shattered the grill in the car because the grill that was available at the time was just an injected molded plastic grill, grill shell, grill bars. Everything was all plastic and uh, busted the fenders up on it, busted the grill up on it. And a good friend of ours was an engineer, and he was making billet grills for, like, um, early 30s Chevys, 32, 3, 4, 5s, whatever. Uh, and so we went down and talked to him, and, you know, he gave us some tips and tricks on how to fixture the stuff and how to bend the bars, that kind of thing. So Dad bought a grill shell for, you know, just a fiberglass grill shell to replace the busted plastic one. And, you know, we built our first grill insert in the back room at my father's house. And, um, you know, and then my father, like I say, he was always a drag racer and a Mopar guy. So, and you know, you got to think 1988, nobody was doing anything for Dodge and Plymouth stuff. Um, so we started building, buying grill shells for, you know, 33, 34, Dodge, Plymouth, 35, sixes, whatever. And uh, so we actually started building grills for uh, the Dodge and Plymouth stuff. Um, the first 10 years, dad owned the business. Um, you know, I worked for him nine and a half of the 10 years, you know, the first couple of months he did it on his own, the first six months, whatever. Um, and then, you know, I'm the, you know, I don't know now what I was at the time, 23 or so, 22, 23. And uh, anyhow, uh, started building the grills for me. He gave me a piece of paper and, you know, what I was supposed to build. And we'd bend the bars and weld it up. And, uh, you know, he'd bring cardboard home from work and we'd make a box and stuff it with paper and take it to the post office. And that's the door it went. Okay, well, that actually <laughs> answered that question. I was, I was going to ask if there was a lot of CNC stuff back then or you were just – cutting and welding and gluing things back together again and you know making it look oh, like it's it's even better than the cnc like the we would just uh use a bandsaw that you know to cut the lengths of the bars and uh the cross brace or i call it the v-bar because it's shaped like a v uh the v-bar we actually uh would notch it with a table saw we would set the blade angle at you know whatever <laughs> whatever right angle on. the whatever angle the the cross brace called for and uh i had it you know i had a a whole bunch of poster boards laid out that, you know, how, what the spacing was between the bars, all that kind of stuff. And, um, break out the protractor and figure out what angle it needed to be and just go from there with it. Wow. So, yeah. So way, way before CNC, well, CNC stuff was out there. We just didn't have it in the back room at my mom and dad's house. <laughs> so you were whittling, this is all, this is all just by hand. You're making pieces oh, yeah. by, wow. Okay. That's actually yeah. really cool. Yeah, spacing them with dowel rods and holding it together with rubber bands while I, you know, break out the MIG welder and weld it together. <laughs> and you know, didn't even have a spool gun then. It was, you know, we're pushing the pushing the wire all the way through the whip, and you know, it's bird caging about every third weld and all that stuff. It was a blast. <laughs> what was your background in fabrication going into this? 
Uh, I was a Maytag man. I mean, I, I think so. <laughs> it sounds kind of funny. My, my senior year of high school, my dad's like, what are you doing with your life, son? And, uh, you know, so it's just like, oh, I don't know. I'm, you know, so my, my, my father, my grandfather, should back up a little, my grandfather had an appliance business, an appliance service business, and he'd go out and he'd just, you know, go fix washers and dryers and whatnot. And then when my oldest brother went to college, uh, my grandfather worked at railroad shops here in Altoona. And, you know, so he just like, okay, you know, I'm going to quit doing appliance work or whatever. So my dad took over the appliance business and he did it for a couple of years, put my oldest brother through college. And then I graduated from high school the same year that my brother graduated from college. So my dad's like, hey, I got a full time job. I don't need two of them. Why don't you take over the group, the appliance business? So uh, my senior year of high school, I come home from school and I didn't do much homework, but, uh, you know, I <laughs> got on service calls with them and. So, yeah, I learned the appliance trade, you know, in the evenings, literally on the job training, um, did that through um, 2000. I graduated high school in 83. So I did the appliance work for like 18 years. Um, so but all along, you know, I'm always out. And I was I've got two other brothers and, uh, you know, they're they're both super talented in what they do. And, uh, you know, so I but all along, I was always in the garage. You know, my dad built hot rods, you know many many hot rods i can't tell you how many he's built but uh it's you know 15 20 of them i couldn't even tell you how many but uh anyhow he's always out in the help in the shop helping them you know sand and paint and weld and do all that kind of stuff and uh so just kind of picked it up from him along the way that way um but the, the fabrication stuff it's usually I, I'm, I'm blessed that if I, if I see somebody do it i can usually pick it up pretty quick so um you know, the, the body work into things, the grind and whatever, you know. So when I was, let's see, I would have been in ninth grade, something like that. I bought my first car for a hundred bucks. It was a, about the ugliest car known to mankind. It was a 37 Dodge four-door sedan. And, <laughs> you know, of course, and to make it bigger and uglier, I, I painted it yellow and put a taxi light on top of it. So it was a taxi cab, you know. <laughs> so so the, the summer that, it, that I was 13, I did all the body work on the fenders. Uh, the summer that I was 14, I did all the body work on the actual body itself, the roof and everything. Cause it, you know, it's a big old car and somebody jumped up and down on it and creased it all the way around and oh, I could sling Bondo with the best of them. And, uh, anyhow, the, then the summer I was 15, uh, we put a Chrysler Cordoba front end under it and put a slant six in it. And when I turned 16, I drove it to high school. So, uh, nice. you know, it's kind of kind of funny and you know it's you know what is, what's your car oh i got the 37 dodge sedan oh what you know <laughs> you look at me kind of funny i pulled into a high school parking lot you know uh but i had the old american racing cp 200s it kind of looked like a daisy wheel mm -hmm. and had the chrome plated winds and all that kind of stuff oh i was top dog you know <laughs> awesome. so, but it was funny but that that car the funny story with that car is we went to the hot rod super nationals in was it uh was it canton ohio i forget what town it was out there anyhow uh you remember i'm like 16 17 years old can't don't have two nickels to rub together and the slant six that i had you know it was 82 83 when i put the motor in the thing so i just went down the junkyard and grabbed a pair of motor mounts well the motor mounts you know the the rubber deteriorated on it so the motor sank down or just kind of settled in the chassis well the radiator hose was just long enough to reach between the the neck on the motor and the neck on the radiator itself well when it <laughs> settled it came apart you know so it's you know got this puddle of 
uh, you know, antifreeze under the car. And, you know, it's Sunday afternoon. Remember, it's 83 or so. And the blue laws, so none of the stores were open. And so dad's like, well, you got to fix it, son. You know, you got antifreeze all over the place and can't go home without any antifreeze in your engine. So they had a whack a wreck there where you, you know, you put on a pair of goggles and they give you a pair of gloves and a sledgehammer. And for like five bucks, you go, go, go beat the snot out of some old wrecked up car down in the corner. And so amazingly enough, uh, I found a piece of tailpipe that was the same size as my radiator hose and found a couple hose clamps or whatever and went down and busted the piece of exhaust pipe off and, and grabbed the hose clamps and went up and, you know, cut the radiator hose that I had in the car and stretched it and put the pipe in there to extend it and clamped it back down. And we drove home. <laughs> That's hot rodding right there. So you may be the first person in history to part out one of those whack a wreck cars. That's right. That's right. <laughs> you actually salvaged something off of it. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And on the way home, it was raining that night. And, you know, it's you get the little 12 volt wiper that, you know, mounts above the windshield and everything. And we're running along Interstate 80 and, you know, it's raining and the wiper blade comes off. And so we pull off the side of the road. Uh, you know, I'm out in the middle of the road, it's nighttime, and I'm like, there's my wiper blade. I run out and get it. My mom's like, she's crying, like, get off the road, you're going to get hit. (laughs) Get it back on. And uh, I think that was the same trip earlier in the trip. You know, my my brother's riding along with me, and, you know, the last thing my mom and dad said to my brother was, keep talking to him because he'll fall asleep. I think the first words I heard out of his mouth were, you're in the median, wake up. (laughs) uh, yeah that was kind of an eventful trip yeah one of those things you'll never forget so what happened to the car uh unfortunately uh let's see 2002 i had it in my garage at my house and uh somebody was uh, i say this obviously very sarcastically kind enough to throw a molotov cocktail through my garage door and burnt the garage up burn up my taxi cab burn up a bunch of cushman scooters i had i had a bunch of swing stingways in there and uh we saved the floor and we saved the tig welder and um that's about it but there was a a lesson that i learned it was a you know a spiritual lesson on my end of thing i had my priorities all out of whack and it was god's way of telling me hey stupid you know you're not doing this on your own and uh And the, the the stuff that we saved out of the shop was what I needed to stay in business. And all of the quote unquote earthly treasures that I was building up for myself, he took them away. And uh, it was just a, like I say, it was a life lesson that I needed to learn and uh, get my priorities back in line or, you know, I'm, don't have the, the uh, my priorities out of whack anymore. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's good. Definitely, so, but definitely. that that was, you know, it was, it was like I say, it was a life lesson. But the taxi cab went up in smoke, uh, burnt <laughs> the interior out of it, cracked all the glass in it, warped about every panel on the thing. The bondo that I had slathered on it, you know, it cooked and fell off. And uh, yeah, it was junk. So, you know, if it's a thirty-seven Ford, maybe you consider saving it. But you know, yeah, not a thirty-seven yeah. Dodge. There, that's you know, like I say, the ugliest car known to mankind. Man, so, dude, and and obviously. Obviously, you came back from that, which yep. is... Well, which is... It's the, the, the funny part, once again, this is all God's providence. It's as simple as that. Um, that happened on a Tuesday. Um, I, why, I, don't, I don't know the exact date in April, but uh, it happened on a Tuesday. But Spring Carlisle, big swap meet here in Pennsylvania, happens, you know, April every Carlisle's year. Carlisle's awesome. Uh, yep. Yeah, Spring Carlisle. Anyhow, that week, 
I had received like one or two checks in the mail from one of my dealers. And I had enough money in my pocket that that Thursday I went down to Carlisle. I bought another MIG welder. I bought another bandsaw. I bought another drill press, all that kind of stuff. While I was down there doing that, my dad has a, a garage out the street from my current shop. And he converted the one back room into a, a workspace for me, put workbenches in and outlets and all that kind of stuff and put some lights up. And uh, so within the week, we we're back up and making grills again. Outstanding. Outstanding. So thinking about this now, you, you'd mentioned that you had dealers and everything like that. At the time when you were starting off, did you just start piecemeal, kind of like, you know, per order and then start stocking grills for people? Um, we still build everything to order. Um, there's, there's a couple grills that I've just recently started to inventory. Uh, it, it sounds kind of funny. Everybody always asks me, wait, what's your biggest selling grill? Uh, for the longest time, it was a 36 Chevy car grill and now it's a 37 Chevy car grill. Really? Yep. And the reason everybody's like, mean 32 Ford's not your biggest selling grill. Nope. Not. Only because you can buy the cheap import China, China grill or Taiwan grill for, you know, 375 or something like that. And, you know, it falls into the you get what you pay for category. I can spot them a mile away with the way the bar stains and go all over the place. But, uh, but yeah, the 37 Chevy is uh, our biggest seller right now. Whoa. So, my that multitude of questions now off of that. Do you, this would be sort have you had any of your stuff knocked off by the Chinese yet? <clears throat> um, not by the Chinese, but by one of my dealers that used to be, used to be one of my dealers. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't sell to him anymore, and he's kind of gone on the wayside. So I mean, he's still around, but uh, he's not near as prominent as what he thought he used to be. Wow. Yeah, I mean that, that. I know it's a common thing. You get somebody who creates a good product, and everybody kind of piggybacks off of it. We've we've seen that in the industry with you know billet parts like hinges and things like that. Yeah. But man. So, yeah, well, the, the, the thing with knocking my stuff off is, it, this will probably kind of make you crazy, but for 1933 Ford grill shells, I have 13 different 33 Ford grill shells in my shop from all the different fiberglass shops, and none of them are interchangeable. So, you know, when you buy the generic, you know, special on eBay or something like that, and then I get the calls all the time, hey, I bought this insert on eBay, and it doesn't fit my grill shell. And it's just like, yes, call me shocked. Um, so yeah, it's once again, you get what you pay for. Whoa. Do you, do you come across anything where you've worked on like one particular grill for say just any model car? Let's just say we'll keep it as generic as possible. Say some guy comes to you and says, Hey, I got a 74 Monaco. So you, you build a custom grill insert for it and you find out later on that, you know, you're working on another Monaco, but the jig you made for that first Monaco is totally different than this other car that they sent you. Um, you find variances that, like that? Uh, not so much on the later stuff. You know, when you get into the anything 55 and newer is pretty standardized. Uh, the big thing that I found with all the early fiberglass stuff, you know, in the 33s, 4s, that kind of thing, um, was, you know, the, the fiberglass technology wasn't as good back in the 70s and 80s when, you know, fiberglass cars really became, you know, more popular. Right. And so a mold would actually shrink. And so if you, you know, you took your steel part and you made a first generation mold off of, you know, the steel part, and then, you know, a year or two down the road, it shrinks a little bit. And then you make a, a second mold off of the first fiberglass piece, you know, and then you fast forward that three or four or six generations. Next thing you know, it's a half inch smaller than what it's supposed to be. 
So yeah, you get somebody who's like, I've got an original mold off of this car, and some guy 20 years later has a 7 8 scale from the yeah. same mold. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And then you get into all the 33 Willy stuff that's all over the map, you know, between the flip front ends and all that kind of stuff, you know, because they were all gasser stuff, and it was all lightweight fiberglass because they were race cars. So, yeah, it's it's fun. That's got to be cool. I mean, you've got to have a hell of a mental catalog then on everything that's out there and just kind of know, you know, if somebody goes, oh, I've got a Zips fiberglass body, and you're like, done, got that figured mm-hmm. out. I have that um, one. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I have their their uh, speed starish style grill shell here at the shop, and I have their track nose also. That's the one thing. I mean, that we've been around long enough that we've had such a great repu- working repu- uh, relationship with all of the different fiberglass shops between oh, Outlaw Performance and Bebops and Downs when they were around, and um, oh, just you know, you name them. I, I work with majority of those fiberglass shops and. I mean, I've got grill shells here from fiberglass shops in Australia, and they email me a purchase order, and I build a grill in their grill shell and then put it in a box, and we know it's going to fit when it gets to the other side of the world. So, yes, because now, do you have clients all over the world? Oh, yeah. Yep, I, I ship um, probably twice a month to Australia. I ship to Canada all the time. Uh, Norway, Sweden, I've shipped to Brazil, uh, I don't. Uh, South Africa. Uh, I got a, a Pines Winterfront order now from a customer in Japan. Uh, oh yeah, they go all over the place, and I and I laugh and say I'm a kid from Bellwood. You know, it's if you got to zoom in really close to in Google Earth to find Bellwood. You know, <laughs> we're a population of like 1,800 people, and the traffic lights a mile outside of town. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Well, you know what? We have we have our own police and school and uh, ambulance, all that kind of stuff. And you know, if we need to be at Walmart, it's fifteen minutes away. Okay. You know, I always wondered when building a grill. Say, say somebody brings you some obscure grill from a rare car and wants you to build an insert for it. What are all the steps that you take to pattern, do the layout, do the machining and assembling? What's the first thing you do when you pull that thing out of the box? I pull it out of the box. I stare at it for about two weeks, and then I, I start building it in my head, uh, how I want to shape the bars or uh, some of the grills mount on the front side of the grill shell so the, the perimeter band is visible. Some of the grills we can mount on the inside of the grill shell so the perimeter band's just hidden. Uh, so that makes a difference on how complex the grill is. Um, you know, section grill shells, I get them all the time, you know, especially 32 Ford stuff. I've got probably two or three here right now that are sectioned uh, that I've got to do some, you know, some inserts in that kind of thing. Uh, on the section stuff, I always require everybody to send me the grill shell because their mm-hmm. three inches isn't always three inches. Sure. Um, you know, it can be two and seven eighths on one side and three and eighth on the other side. So that's um, always fun to play with too. But anyhow, I'll, I'll go down through, and we've got you know just an assortment of die plates that we bend the bars with. Uh, you know, different sweeps, different curves, that kind of thing. And we'll play around with, um, you know, just fitting, we'll bend up a bunch of bars and just kind of hold them up inside the grill shell to see, you know, what looks right. And, you know, cause you don't want a grill that looks like somebody walked up and kicked it in with their foot. Uh, it just doesn't, you know, it just doesn't, doesn't, the center bar needs to flow with the outside edge of the grill yeah. shell. 
you know, you've seen any a bunch of them where the the center bar is just farther back in than what the outside is, and it just looks bad. Um, so, and then you the, the other extreme, the guy's like, "Oh, I just went and I just bought a bunch of brake line and I just welded it in." He's like, "Yeah, it looks it." Um, but, <laughs> you know, but, hey, you know, kudos. And I, I had one guy at a show one time. I was down at York, Pennsylvania, for the Nats East for NSRA, and this guy comes into the booth and he's back and forth, you know, throughout the course of the weekend. He's probably in the booth and out of the booth like six, eight times. And he's looking at this grill and. And uh, he's, it was a 34 Chevy grill. And, you know, I asked him, I said, well, what is it? He goes, I don't know. It's a 34 Chevy. I said, well, is it a standard or is it a master? And I said, because there's an inch difference in the grill shells. Oh, I don't know. He says, but I'm a tool and die guy. I can make my own. I was like, okay, cool. You know, no problems. If you can do it, go for it. You know, it's, and some guys can, some guys can't. Anyhow, he calls me up the following, you know, York's in June every year. And he calls me up the following February or so, and he's like, hey, you going to be at your shop this weekend? I was like, yeah, why? He says, oh, i got to come up and, and you know, i got to bring my grill shell to you. And I was like, oh, okay. He says, I don't know if you remember me or not, but I was the guy that was in your booth like a half a dozen times at York. He's like, oh, yeah, I remember you. And anyhow, he brings the grill shell up, and he has this monstrosity of an insert that he made. And, you know, he tried to do like the little bend at the top and the little sweep at the bottom of the bar. And the bars are like a quarter inch wide, and none of the bends match, and half of the welds are bubble gum, and the other half don't hold. And, uh, it was it was kind of funny. He says, anyhow, he says, my wife says I'm not allowed to get in the car out this year until I get a good grill insert in it. So I'm here to get you have an insert made for it. <laughs> so uh, we just kind of laughed, laughed and chuckled on that one. But I, I still have that insert, and every now and then I'll take it with me to a show, and I'll put a little sign on it, and it says, sure, you can do it. <laughs> <laughs> What's the weirdest request you've ever gotten for like material on a grill? You ever get anybody who's like, "Oh, wrought iron would be awesome." Glass. Wrought um, <laughs> <laughs> iron. Uh, Barbed wire. Yeah, I've had one or two of the spider web requests, but I've, oh. I've turned those down. Um, but I did do one one time for it was a customer that was out in Oklahoma, if I remember right, and he wanted his copper coated or copper plated, and he just wanted it left copper. So uh, we did an aluminum insert and sent it out to John Wright. Custom Chrome Plating does all my plating for me. Uh, sent it out to John and his crew, and they dipped it in copper and put it in a box and drop shipped it to the customer in Oklahoma. Right on. But probably the craziest grill that I've built. Um, I did one for a German car that was called an Adler. Uh, it was an early thirties, little two seat roadster, kind of MG ish. And the guy literally brought me a bunch of busted up pot metal in the grill shell. And we had to reverse engineer that and we machined the trim band for it, uh, bent some bars for it, welded it all together. Uh, had like an eagle, an Adler in German is means eagle in English, and so it had an eagle as an em, a grill emblem on it. So we machined a grill em, eagle emblem for it, and uh, it was pretty neat. The story on the car was, um, you know, it was uh, one of the, the the guy that owned it initially was an SS agent, and when he saw that the Germans were losing, he changed sides and went to the Americans, became an interpreter for them. And he, he's got all these, I got all these pictures that the guy gave me and he's like this playboy in the thirties. He's out doing photo shoots and, you know, World War II. And uh, it was pretty cool. Anyhow, the, the, the guy ended up, you know, selling the car to a, an officer in the, in the army or whatever. And they brought it to the States and uh, the guy's 
that brought it to the States. His wife gave him an ultimatum of you either sell the Adler or you sell the Duesenberg. And he sold the Adler and kept the Duesenberg. And uh, anyhow, it ended up that this car that was made, uh, apparently back World War II times, Hitler went to all the car companies and said, we want to build a car for the 24 Hours of Le Mans. And Adler, this was the car that they built for the 24 Hours of Le Mans. And the, the, there's wow. an Adler Adler's Owners Club in Germany, and uh, they you know they knew of the car but never knew what happened to the car. Uh, the guy that owns the car in New Jersey now is a big metal dealer broker, and he was dealing with uh, the different foundries and stuff over in Germany. And you know he's randomly mentions you know that he's got this car, and they get, they get in touch with them with the Adler's Owners Club and. Uh, Anyhow, they track it down, and it was a really neat car. It was a four-cylinder, front-wheel drive, but the engine was in the car backwards. So the the fan blade and the water pump was against the firewall, and the transaxle was up front. Um, so oh, it was Polish a engineering, drive. awesome. <laughs> yes, yeah, so, so it was a, a front-wheel drive car. Uh, like I say, a little four-cylinder thing. It's cool. Really neat little piece. Well, you gave me a great idea. Next year for uh, Detroit, why don't we uh, let's line up a project? We're going to do an AMC Eagle, or we're going to call it the Adler. It's going to be SS themed. This is going to be the talk of the internet for like the two SS weeks. Themed. <laughs> yep, yep. You can, you know, the the, the army uh, OD green with the little slots painted on the headlight lenses for the lights to come through. Yeah, there you go. This I'd have a roof like the old Red Baron model. Oh, oh <laughs> dude, there you go. <laughs> or like a pit helmet. That'd be yeah. better. <laughs> or, or, yeah. 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 That's really cool, though. That's so, do you, do you do, I mean, obviously for, for people listening, I mean, we know what the heck you do, but do, do you do a lot of stuff like Duesenbergs or um, like concourse type stuff as well? Not really, but mainly because I mean my my parts and pieces are more hot rod oriented. I I don't uh, promote my business as a true reproduction original style bar stock stuff. Um, so I I mean I've done a couple Cadillacs and Packards and things like that, but they were always you know hot rod versions. They weren't going concourse or anything like that. Right on. So, man, what is uh, well heck. What what's what's the hardest? Well, yeah, the hardest material you've ever worked with. Uh, what is what is the most difficult material you've ever worked with? Because well, that could well hell or the hardest. Hell, we'll go both ways. We'll go metallurgy. Uh, and, uh, the the, the answer to both of them is stainless. I hate working with stainless. Um, it's just you know you might as well grab a piece of newspaper and try to sand the concrete floor with it. It's just it's just miserable to work with. Uh, so, I mean, randomly I'll get guys that, you know, oh, I got to have a stainless steel 32 Ford grill or a stainless steel 37 Ford grill. And it's just like, mm, okay, go get some, go get it off of somebody else. Cause I'm not making it for you. Well, it's right in the name, isn't it? Alumacraft. Shouldn't you? Be oh yeah. yeah. No. You wouldn't believe how many people don't get put two and two together. <laughs> I don't like stainless craft. It doesn't say that on the uh, business card. Yeah. It's like oil paintings by Doug. Can you, can you work? Yeah. Can you do this in enamel? Uh, yeah. How about acrylics? Yeah. Yeah. yeah you think how, how much? Well, how much further on the nose? I <laughs> get that. Could could your name possibly be? I mean, uh, whatever. Really though, ah, people, you know. 
Okay, well, talking about talking about you know different grills, you've worked on these you know different different grade eight stuff for AMBR cars. What uh, in in terms of hours, you know, from start to start to end, what is one of the longest project grills you've done? Uh, good question. Um, probably, and it's kind of a trick question. The Chevelle grill that I did this year, um, I probably had about seventy hours in it. Uh, the Chevelle grill was 13 different pieces that were all machined individually. And then I welded them all together. Um, hindsight, that, that was one of the first pieces I did for the car. Um, but hindsight, um, just, you know, as I, as I was learning and, you know, cause I, I've only been, uh, doing the CNC work, I'll say hardcore for the last three, four years. Um, you know, I, I bought the, the my first uh, Haas mill to do just the cross braces because I was hand, I have like a little miniature bridge port here and I was hand cracking all the cross braces and it just took too long to cut them. And so I, you know, I always do on these little time studies of how to speed up production at the shop and, uh, I figured, Hey, you know, they've got these CNC mills out now that are supposed to be faster and better and more accurate and repeatable and all that kind of stuff. So let's get one of those. So I bought one, uh, to, you know, just that it was a 1999 BF4 that I bought it in, uh, 2010 and so for the longest time the first you know 10 12 years or whatever uh yeah 2010 i guess it's only 19 now so i've only had it for uh nine years but um anyhow first five six years anyhow i just cut the cross braces for the grills in it and then you know do a little emblem here or there for somebody or a little oddball piece of something and then, you know, I kept on having guys ask me, hey, you know, do you think you could make this for me? And I was like, oh, I don't know. I don't see why I can. You know, it's just aluminum. Um, so, you know, it's it, a lot of the programming anymore is in the software. Um, so once you get the software figured out, uh, cutting, it's pretty simple once you know, you know what feed rates you can get away with. Um, but, you know, once you get the feed rates, you still have to hold it to the mill table and, that the fixturing to the table is probably one of the most challenging parts of machining to me anyhow. Well, that's why it's kind of, I was kind of asking that question is, is, uh, it's kind of a weird, you know, weird thing to ask is how many hours you have it because it goes from a pencil sketch, you know, cause you see these parts and pieces guys. Oh, it's all done with a CNC. Well, it's not, there's no magic create button. Somebody had to program all that <laughs> crap, you know, to draw yeah. it all up, to make it cut you know from this parameter to this parameter and boom 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 and, right. and and make it all work so you know there your time is definitely in your programming and even if you know right. the program it's still a lot of work oh yeah yeah it's it's probably i mean i, I just did a pair of um convertible top ha latch handles for a, a local collector guy he's got a 51 bentley convertible that's like one of five in the world and one's in japan he has the one in the united states and the other three are in europe and they were the car was leaving to go down to a rolls royce museum to be the feature car for this current month and they realized they didn't have the latch handle so he brings me a handle and it's just like here you need to make these and i need to have them by thursday and it's like oh great um but i have a like a three axis digital readout on a measuring table that i made uh, because favor arms are just stupid expensive and i didn't have time to send it out to get it scanned or anything like that so uh, I, I had probably six hours just in reverse engineering it, and it only took like about three or four hours to actually machine the parts. But, um, but yeah, it's, you know, and then you hand the guy a bill for a couple hundred dollars for a pair of handles, and he just looks at you. It's like, you needed them, and it's a million-dollar car, so, 
<laughs> I don't know yeah. what your beef is. But... <laughs> make the make the checkout to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you know, and you, and you needed them in a hurry. So you know, I pretty much had to stop everything else I had going on in the shop to 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 take care of your problem for you. So now, so moving now from like hot rod stuff, and you've you've kind of branched out into like uh, as much as I don't really like the term because it's kind of passe, but the whole the pro touring style cars, yep. the muscle cars, and things like that. Um, obviously smart move. I mean, there's so many of those being built and there's so much potential for customization that guys don't even look at because for years it was just a lot of stock bodied cars with maybe, you know, minor changes. And, uh, like this year, uh, again, with, um, with Goldman's Chevelle, you did so many cool trick parts with that car. Um, do, do you find the process to be a little more involved or different or is it just kind of, you know, like same thing, different day? Making the move. Um, it 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 was. I've always had the 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 mindset of you're either growing or you're dying. There is no status quo because if you're staying the same, your competition's getting ahead of you. Um, so you know, we just kind of always kept that mindset that, and you know, it's just as you go through the ages. I mean, you can remember when I was a kid. I mean, I remember you know walking that through the the field at the Hershey Swap Meet and you know seeing the hundred thousand dollar Model Ts, and you know now Model Ts are five six grand because nobody wants them and nobody relates to them and you know for the longest time you know 32 fords well 32 fords are still always the iconic car and everybody will always love them but you know it was tri five chevys for the longest time and then it got into you know first gen camaros and now second gen camaros now the c10 pickup trucks and that kind of stuff because that's what the cars that the guys that have the quote-unquote discretionary income now can build because the family's raised the kids are out of college it's him and mom and you know he wants to go back and kind of relive the glory days so but the the nice part about the the current you know the pro touring stuff the classic trucks that kind of thing is they're all the same so i only have to have a, a, other than changing like you know the the geometric design of the grill the perimeter is the same they mount the same all that kind of stuff so i can save like a just a default template for a you know a 67 c10 pickup truck or a 65 mustang or whatever and then it's just a matter of going through and, you know, if the customer wants hexagons or ovals or slots or, you know, whatever other grid design he wants to come up with, um, then we go from there with it. Right on. Well, this is answering some questions here, stuff I was actually yeah. curious about. So this is actually good. How much uh, do the, does the owners normally give you, uh, like, just go what you think looks right, Dan. I, that's what I want this grill to look like. Do you get much uh, input like that, or is the owners usually pretty specific about what they want? Um, it, it depends on the the build of the car. Like for the Goldman car, I worked a lot. And Eric Brockmeyer did all the renderings on the car. And so, you know, Eric and I, I'd call Eric up and we kind of brainstorm and you know, work off of, you know, his rendering. And, you know, now I, w I went down to the Goldman shop and took a bunch of measurements and tracings and things like that of, you know, the, the tail panel surround, the grill opening surround, that kind of stuff. Um, but then, you know, just working off of Eric's renderings that, uh, just the, the shape of the tail light panel or the shape of the hood vents or stuff like that, we, we kind of get down through and, uh, bounce around some ideas that way. Uh, then I've got other guys that, you know, Hey, I just want to put, you know, I just want to, I got a flimsy old stamp, 10 aluminum grill in my 65 Mustang and it's vibrates and it's cracked and that kind of stuff. I just need a new grill for it. 
you know, just, you know, I kind of, I saw one that had a hexagon on it. So just send me that one. So, you know, it, it's all spectrums of the, of the industry. You know, I, I deal a lot with the, the quote unquote shade tree guys to, you know, the high end shops. So uh, it all depends on what the project is. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And I mean, being in the design side of it, for me, it's kind of fun to take a drawing where you come up with something you're like, yeah, this is awesome. And to watch a guy like you take that and, you know, for the most part, put your spin on it and take it and translate that from, you know, pencil or pixels or whatever the heck I'm working in that week to something physical. To me, that's the coolest thing in the world because the first time you see the car in person, you're like, yeah, dude, that's awesome. And sometimes, you know, you get a guy who's like, well, I put my own spin. I hope you don't mind. And to me, it's the coolest thing because somebody interpreted it in their own way. And I think it's really cool because you've kind of got the best of both worlds, man. You can... Oh, yeah. And that's that's the fun part of, you know, I've, I've always been, you know, kind of a hands on. I, I, you know, in high school, I liked art classes and I took it. We called it industrial arts back then, but it was, you know, kind of doing blueprints and things like that. Um, and I've always loved just taking some kind of raw material, whether it's extruded bar stock that we get in for the street rod grills or, you know, blocks of aluminum, like the, the block of aluminum for the bumpers on the Goldman car. It was two and a half inches thick, 12 inches wide and 12 feet long and uh, weighed just shy of 500 pounds, I think. And so, you know, we got to get it off the tractor and trailer with the forklift. And then I had to use my engine hoist cherry picker to get it up to my bandsaw to, to cut it in half to, you know, to get it in the mill because, you know, it's, it's, it's still even cut in half. It's still 250 pounds and I only weigh like a buck 90 and, you know, it's, it weighs more than I do. So I, you know, I'm standing it up one end and I'm walking this thing across the floor and then I like lay the one end in on the mill table and I grab the other end and just kind of flip it up in. And it's just like, boy, I hope I don't smash my toes on this one because they ain't coming back. <laughs> I was thinking, think about the money you could save somebody if you just, you know, you don't mill everything away. So if you put like a 400 pound grill into a car, right? I mean, you're going to get stance, <laughs> custom grill, everything in one shot. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to help you expand your business. Grill. Yeah, well, when, when we did the, the, the front bumper for the Goldman car, uh, like I say, it was just under six feet long. And I think the final, the, the first piece that I sent it down to them is I call it a solid. Um, we left it all solid in the backside so they can drill and tap into the back of the bumper to mount it to the car. Uh, it weighed like 65 or 70 pounds. And then they drilled and tapped it, sent it back to me and we machined out the backside of the grill or the bumper again. And I think we took another 30 pounds out of it. So, you know, we got it down to like 30, 35 pounds, something like that. Wow. Wow. So uh, so I'm assuming you recycle all of your shavings and bits. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You get like 10 cents to the pound on a thing or 30, 30 cents in the pound. Uh, you know, paying a whole bunch more than that for the solid piece. But, uh, yeah, I mean, we recycle everything here. It's just, you know, it's it all it's it's still good aluminum. There's no sense in throwing it away. And not that, you you know, you're not getting rich off of the, the shavings that you're getting out of the mill. But still, you know, it's, you know, it goes back. and yeah, take turning. the guys in the, take the guys in the shop out for lunch someday or something like that, you know. What would you could do? You got to come up with a tumbler that would just take all the sharp edges off of those, and kind of sell those off to the custom guys. So instead of using like I don't know, say you know rocks, they could put down a bed of aluminum shavings. Yeah, this I could be a well, great I display. Sell, I, could, I could sell it to Jeremy at PPG, and he could make aluminum flakes instead of metal flakes and glass flakes. Hmm. Wow, now we're getting places. Fancy. This is fancy stuff here. 
So getting more into the business side of things, um, it, obviously you've grown by, you know, you've grown by leaps and bounds. You, you're, God, you're everywhere. Um, for someone starting out with their own, you know, home-based shop, what would you do different looking back on it right now? Is there anything you'd change? Um, start earlier. <laughs> it sounds kind of funny, but, um, you know, it, it was, it was something that, you know, uh, we, we've always just kind of managed the growth of the business. Uh, it was never one that, you know, when the big street rotting heyday in the early two thousands when, you know, the rides TV show was on and overhauling and all those great shows that, you know, there was a lot of guys that quote unquote jumped on the bandwagon and, and they disappeared uh, because, you know, they, they got too big too fast. And when the, when the economy went South, you know, they had all these, this overhead and, you know, they didn't have customers anymore to, to sustain the business. Um, but, you know, I've got a great dealer network that uh, is always, you know, rock solid, you know, you deal with good people and they take care of you, you know, and in turn we try to take care of them and fill in their orders and things like that. Um, it, you know, it's, it, we've, we've focused on the grill business, the grill side of things. You know, I've got guys, Oh, can you, can you make me a, you know, up until recently, can you make me a bumper or a windshield frame? And I'd say, always oh, said no, because we did grills. And so it's the old adage. You do one thing a thousand times, you get really good at it. You do a thousand things one time and you suck. Um, so, you know, you, you, you focus on the, you know, your core product and, you know, you, you solve the problem for the customer, um, no matter what it is, you know, you know, whether it's a rendering or, uh, you know, they need pinstripes or, you know, they need paint on a car or something like that. You, you offer them a service that they can't do themselves. And so you do it at a fair rate and, uh, you know, you take care of them. They take care of you. It's all good. Right on. Good way to put it. As far as uh, like advertising goes, I, I just I always try to add this, you know, these these little value added things to someone who's starting out. And and the, it, how man that that was a good stutter. <laughs> Let's do that one again, kids. <laughs> Part two, take two. What's my motivation, Brian? Not have to edit this. Um, it, as far as advertising goes do you do a lot of advertising or do you rely a lot more on word of mouth and trade shows and things of that nature um i i run an ad in nsre street scene magazine we've been in there for years and years and years uh, i run an ad in street rotter magazine because they're just the bible of the hot rod industry um i've got a website and i do probably four or five shows a year where I actually set up and as, as a vendor, uh, I do the grand national register show in January. I do the York NSRA show because it's I'm two hours away, but I call it in my back door, in my backyard. Um, well, that almost got I, sexy. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I do the, the Louisville street rod nationals. Um, about every other year, every third year, I try to do the Pleasanton August show for good guys. Um, that's about it as far as setting up at shows, uh, random, and I, I mix up different shows, you know, I'll, I'll do like the Syracuse nationals one year, every now and then, or I'll get down to, I did the pigeon forge shades of the past show this past year, right uh, just, just to mix it up because when the, when the customers are spending this kind of money, um, you know, they, they want to be touchy feely and I, I can't blame them for it at all. 
you know, they want to see how the brackets are, you know, how the brackets go, how they're going to attach it to the grill shell or how's it made or how's it welded or assembled or whatever. And so, you know, and you still have to be out in front of the people just to, uh, just to keep your name out there. Uh, but a lot of the, the smaller shows, it's got to the point now where if, if the show doesn't draw 2000 cars, it, it sounds kind of funny and I don't mean it in a disrespectful way in any way, shape or form, but if it doesn't draw 2000 cars, it's not worth my time to leave the shop to go to it. Um, right. So it's, it's, you know, it's kind of a fine line on uh, what to do, where to do. And, you know, I'm, like I said, I'm fortunate that I'm blessed that I can kind of pick and choose where I want to go and what shows I want to attend and things like that. Very cool. Yeah, because that, that's a tough decision to make. You know, if you've got to choose, do I want to travel across the country? And then there's all the logistics involved with that. And it, yeah, it sure it pays to have a good network because it makes it easier to travel out there, have a place to stash your stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, I've got, um, when I do the Grand National Roadster Show, uh, my good friend Don Lindress is, works at Pertronics, and I just leave a pallet of display stands in his warehouse. And, you know, I'll ship all my, I've got a bunch of aluminum crates that I put all the grills in and I'll ship them out to his place and, you know, fly out and jump in the minivan and, uh, go to his place, pick everything up, set up for the show. And then Monday morning, we're back at the warehouse dropping stuff off and then I fly home. Very cool. So you got a regular routine then. It's just a regular deal. Yep. Yep. I used to ship to the guys down at mother's down in Huntington beach, but that's on the wrong side of LA. <laughs> I found that Dawn's a whole found that Dawn's a whole lot closer to me. So, uh, so we use Dawn now because he's 15 minutes up the freeway. Yeah, perfect. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing that. I, I like you know. I think a lot of our listeners enjoy hearing that and kind of trying to piece it together for themselves. You know, I mean, obviously, I'd never ask you to share trade secrets, but th- those little things kind of help out. You know, you get some guy who's sitting there going, "Ah, oh, how do how the heck do these guys do it?" We can replace this whole thing with just, it's all done by magic. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, to, well, the, the reason why I leave it at Dawn's place is I, I put the pallet together of, you know, the display stands and things like that. And I shipped it out through one of the trucking companies. And to ship the pallet out, it was just a regular three foot by four foot pallet. And to ship it out there was like $1,200 or something like that one way. So shipping that back and forth every time you had to go to a show would just kill your profit margin, obviously, in a hurry. Yeah, and then trying to drive across the country, especially man, leaving from Pennsylvania. From Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania to California, yeah. You oh. can't wait to get there. Man. A half a week at the show and a week to get home, yeah. Yeah. Driving through snow and everything else. Yeah. Pass. Yep. I mean, you, know, you just want to take a nap. It's like, I don't want to go to the show. I just want to take a nap. <laughs> <laughs> Where's the food? So, do you do you have a favorite grill you like to build? And if somebody uh, calls you, do you get excited? Do you go, yes, Nash Metropolitan, can't wait. Yes, <laughs> Corvair. Oh, what? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I mean, my 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 current favorite grill is the Pines Winterfront Grill that we do. Um, there, it's it's a lot of fun to build. It's it's just a different look for the for the thirty two Fords. Um, you know, and with the, with the original Pines Winterfront grills selling, you know, a, a nice Winterfront. If you can find somebody that wants to sell one, uh, you know, they're ten, twelve grand, something like that. Ooh, um, wow. You know. Oh yeah, yeah. They're you know, I've I've seen beat up ones sell for like five and six grand. And the, the funny part was, just I don't know, maybe two three months ago, I had a customer that. 
calls me up and says, oh, you know, I was working on my 33 Plymouth and, you know, I had it jacked up. We were getting ready to, you know, do something, change the oil on it or something. I forget what they were doing too. Anyhow, they didn't have the, they were still in the process of jacking it up. Didn't have the jack stands under it yet. And the jack kicks out, goes right up through the bottom of the grill shell. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so he calls me up and it's like, hey, I need a grill insert to, you know, to put back in my car that I can rework the sheet metal to, to match the grill shell again or match, the, you know, put the grill shell to match the insert again. And uh, I don't even know how it happened, but anyhow, he randomly comes off of this, makes this off the wall comment that, yeah, I got this Pines Winterfront hanging on my wall. It's like, really? He's like, oh, yeah, because I bought it out of a junkyard up in Alaska like 20 years ago for 20 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> Tell you what, I'll double your money. <laughs> well, oh, yeah, that's where I was going next. You know, it's just like, so how about we do a trade? And he goes, oh, it's kind of beat up a little bit. And I says, I tell you what, if it's as nice as I have pictured in my mind, I'll, you know, he ordered just, I, I offered the grills in a, a front edge polish with a satin side or a fully polished, or like I say, I send them out to John Wright and get them chrome plated. And uh, he had ordered just, you know, the basic three eight spacing between the grill bars, stock look, front polish. And I said, tell you what, I said, if it's a winter front and it's truly what you say it is, I'll, I'll do one in chrome for you and, you know, send it out to you. And I says, and then if you like it, you just, I'll put a label in the box and you just put the winter front grill right back in the box and you ship it back to me. So anyhow, he sends me a couple pictures and it's beat a little more than, you know, what I was hoping it for. And anyhow, he calls me up and says, are you sure about that? And I says, I'll tell you what, I says, it's, it's a little rougher than I care for. I says, but it's still really cool. I says, I'll do a full polish one for you and we'll call it even. He's just like, Oh, I think I should still pay shipping on it. I was like, no, dude, we're good. And, you know, and I told him how much I thought it was worth and all that kind of stuff. Wasn't trying to, you know, take advantage of them or anything like that. And he was all like, I don't know. I only paid like 20 bucks for this thing. I don't, I don't think you know, it's fair for you to give me like this, you know, thousand dollar insert for, you know, a grill insert. I got 20 bucks in is like, well, dude, I'm telling you, it's worth five or six grand. You know, if you want to do the deal, you know, you know, with the full polish in exchange for your winter front grill, I'm game. And he's like, let me talk it over with my son. He calls me back the next day. He says, yeah, my son said he's never going to do anything with it. So the deal's good. It's like, sweet. <laughs> so now I get this original winter front here in my shop, which is just kind of cool to have hanging here. Man, yeah, I, I couldn't use the word hanging for mine, but I was going to say, I'll, <laughs> I'll say a pictures of a Brian full winter frontal. <laughs> so what's on the horizon for you, sir? Oh, we're already doing stuff for SEMA. Um, a lot of the, you know, the, the, the Detroit stuff is uh, obviously gone out of the way now. Uh, a couple cars that are gone for good guys in Columbus. Uh, most of those have the, the parts and pieces already in their hands because, you know, they need all that stuff to do the body work and, you know, fabricate whatever sheet metal they need to, to do with it or whatever. Uh, so now we're kind of in SEMA mode already where I've got... Uh, 38 Chevy to do here. Um, got a couple C10s that are going there. Um, got a couple guys that are already talking about Detroit for next year already. Uh, so it's it's uh, it's fun. Yeah, you know, and like I say, I get these guys that are. It was funny. I I, I did a. Uh, I'm on the WD40 Pro Board. They send me out sample products, and I tell them what I like, what I don't like, that kind of stuff. When they were here a couple of weeks ago and did a little video shoot, and they picked six guys out of the 100 people on their Pro Board, and uh, they spent like eight hours here at the shop watching me spray WD40, and they're going to edit it down, <laughs> edit it down to like a 30-second segment uh, for their social media use and things like that. 
And I was like, yeah, you got to edit eight hours of video down to 30 seconds. Good luck with that. And uh, so anyhow, that, that'll be coming out. Uh, I think they said they were going to try to have all that stuff edited and online sometime late March, early April, that kind of thing like that. So uh, it's, it's pretty cool that, once again, I'm a kid from Bellwood. You know, these kind of things don't happen to guys like me. I want to see. I want to see the film crew get sent over to the paint shop after this been WD forty. Yeah, <laughs> well, they, they, one of the guys from WD forty was standing there because there's two guys from WD forty, four guys from the film crew, and uh, my phone rings and I, I pick it up and I, I look at it and it's got the phone number and it says Switzerland on it, and <laughs> I, I just start laughing and the, the WD forty guy kind of shoots me an odd look as so I turn the phone and I show it to him. And he's like. Switzerland? Really? It's like, yeah, I'm telling you, it's I'm a kid from Bellwood. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm ordering you know, hot chocolate. <laughs> yeah, and uh, <laughs> it's it's pretty neat. <laughs> so, but like I say, I'm blessed with the uh, you know the the industry that we're in. Uh, it's 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 not about the cars. It's about the friendships you make, and the cars just happen to be a common denominator. So, uh, it's pretty sweet. Exactly. We we talked about that quite a bit at SEMA this yep. year. It was it's, it's a whole lot more family than it is anything, you know. And most heck, definitely, that was the first place you and I have ever met face to face. And right, um, man, look at us now sitting here swapping semi dirty <laughs> jokes. <laughs> and the mess you can make a WD forty. Perfect. Yeah. Although, well, that, that was it. And then they called and said, hey, we need to, you know, you want to be involved with this WD-40 thing. And it's just like, I hate to say this, but I don't use the yellow and blue WD-40 can. I says, I can't because the, the oils that are left in it contaminate my TIG welds. And so I can't, you know, I can't wipe the bars down with WD-40 or anything like that because it just contaminates it. I says, but you, you know, you'll like this, Brian. They make a great dry lube <laughs> for all my bands. <laughs> for my bandsaw blade, my drill bits, and the, and the taps that I use to, to thread the brackets and everything because aluminum and bandsaw blades don't get along. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, so I, I told them I used the dry lube, and they're like, oh, sweet, that's perfect. You're in. It's like, okay, just let me know. I don't use the yellow and blue WD 40 can, the regular stuff that everybody else uses. So well, they'll fix that in post. You'll be holding <laughs> yeah. yellow can. Everyone else was like, what do you use? Oh, I, I use your marinade and your pasta sauce. <laughs> <laughs> so, but then, then I, when the guys were here, it's just like, yeah, I, I use your dry lube up on here. I said, but I use your degreaser and uh, your, your gel lube and all that kind of stuff on my go-karts. And they're like, you got go-karts? Like, yeah, I got go-karts. And so we went in the back shop and I, I race little flat oval, banked oval dirt carts, and uh, that's what I do for my fun. I don't hunt or fish, and you know, amazingly enough, being in central Pennsylvania where everybody hunts and fishes, I can't stand it. Um, it's too easy to walk down to the grocery store and get exactly what I want to eat for supper. Uh, yeah. Get in, bring it home. Uh, so I, I go play with go-karts on the weekends and the, during the summertime, so that's my release. Sounds like more fun to me anyway. No, oh, it is. It is. I, I, the te- technical aspect of things is fun. Mm. Uh, you know the tire preps and the gearing and yeah. uh, all that kind of thing. Plus, you know, it's it's the friendships you make at the track is is good as well. That's awesome. Have you been doing that your whole life, or is this something you just kind of came into? Oh no, I've only been. This will be my fifth year coming, so I didn't wow. even start racing until I was like forty eight. Very cool. 
we, we can yeah, edit that was... so it sounds like say i didn't start doing that till i was 20 i'll be 25 <laughs> this year <laughs> yeah i mean i was like this old guy that shows up and it's a rookie you know it's kind of funny i was like uh, i need to start at the back of the track and the back of the pack and the, the very first night that i went out i had I bought this carbon fiber helmet and, you know, I got the cart and all this kind of stuff. And I go out for my first hot lap session ever and I get on the track and the helmet's way too big for me. And so it's a full face helmet and the little chin bar thing kept on vibrating up over my eyes. The helmet would rotate around my head. And so I (laughs) full throttle going into the corner. I can't see a thing. So he's looking the wrong way. I got my left hand on the backside of my helmet, trying to push it around as I'm trying to drive through the corner with my right hand and, Oh, it was a mess. <laughs> Get to know what turn you're going into by which ear hole you're looking out of. That's of yeah, exactly. there you go, the ear hole. Exactly. exactly yeah. Yeah. Imagine, so, imagine everybody in the crowd watching. You, you got your head turned all the way to the right. You're making a left turn. Like, this dude. Show off. Yeah. Yeah. Show so, off. Show off. But it's fun. It's, it's just something different. When I put the helmet on, I'm not thinking about welding. I'm not thinking about machining. I'm just concentrating on uh, hopefully going fast and turning left. How, see, that works for a lot of guys. A lot of guys say, oh, I put the helmet on. I stop thinking. I mean, I've been asked so many times to wear a helmet, and I still think about stuff. So... That's just to keep you from licking the windows. That's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to slow that down. That's... Just licking my visor. Yeah. <laughs> licking the wind. <laughs> man i'm so glad you made time for us especially after your trip back from detroit yeah not a problem i appreciate you having me on uh it's you know i listen to you guys pretty much every week and uh you know the 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 guests that you've had on there i i i'm honored to be included with the you know the likes of chip foose and dave lane and the two cheese and uh, Carson and all those guys are just, they're incredible. And I, I've learned just kind of a bunch of the inside stuff, especially with Carson when he was on there talking about all of his, uh, you know, the legal end of things. It, it was pretty cool. Yeah, that guy, that guy's a wealth of info. But, man, but thank you for, for listening, man. It, yes. Yeah. It made my day. I mean, dude, I, and we're, we're honored to have you. Don't. This was this was big for us. I mean, you again. I know a lot of a lot of people are going to say, "Man, you've always been on my list." But no, you were big on my list, and I said I I was crushed when we left Grand National. I was like, "Man, I let the guy down." And, and was, <laughs> well, there's always tomorrow, so it's not a, like I say. It's it's didn't bother me any, and I know you guys are busy. So, uh, like I say, I appreciate you taking the time to give me a ring tonight. Yes, thanks. Thanks again yes. for coming on. I know it's a little later there than it is here, and yeah. thank you for thank you for toughing that out for us. Not a problem, man. Yeah, we look forward. To, I want to have you back on because there's there's stuff you know I would really like to get into with you on, on, in greater detail, and I, I'd love to have you back on, especially as the show season goes on because I mean, we're just starting again. How the real show season starts? Well, now basically, right? Because I said so, but um. It's whole thing starts. I decreed it. <laughs> By decree, Brian said so. The show season is now officially underway. Yes, yes. By decree of one of the hosts of a podcast that has eleven <laughs> listeners. Yeah, yeah I was listener season. number seven. You remember yeah. when I introduced awesome. myself? 
when I introduced myself to you, Sam, it was like, yeah, I'm listener number seven because you always said you and five other people, you know, there were six listeners at the time. I'm, I, I'm, I'm number seven. And you just kind of looked at me funny. <laughs> you were you were number seven, back, and that was back when we still hand printed the cards. So that's pretty awesome. And we, <laughs> well, hopefully, you guys are all still getting the direct deposit checks. Hopefully, that's still going through. So that's yeah. That's come from Alex. That's nice. <laughs> but no, I mean, yeah, like I said, I want to, I'd like to touch base with you, you know, as the show season goes on and kind of just talk sure a little thing. bit more, you know, cause I mean, there's obviously trends that'll emerge this year and we got to pick this up again. And definitely I'd like to spend some time with you looking way ahead here, maybe at the SEMA show, kind of walk around sure. a little bit and get an idea of the stuff, you know, you worked on there and talk to you yep, a little bit yep. more in depth. I'll be there. Awesome, man. You made I, my I don't day. do it. I don't do a booth at SEMA because to me the the SEMA guys are you know the guys that set up booths there they're full on mass production you know they're they're right. making a thousand of the same widget in a day and where all my stuff's all kind of handcrafted I you know it's I could go out and I could set up there and then I could come home and be completely overwhelmed with orders and you know it's I, I get phone calls all the time oh you need to advertise with us online or in a magazine or wherever and it's just like. I found that the guys will wait about eight weeks for their orders and anything past that, they'll just like, nap, forget it. I'm not going to do it. So, uh, so, you know, there's no sense in spending a whole bunch of money to advertise, to just have the customer hang up on you because I can't fill the order fast enough for them. Exactly. Yeah. Cause it, at any given time here at the shop, I typically have between 30 and 40 grills in the works. Oh, wow. wow. Okay. Well, you're busy then. Oh yeah. I'm blessed. Like I said, I'm, I'm crazy busy. And I, I tell everybody I go from being busy all year round. Then March to May is my stupid busy season. So, cause everybody waits till now to get their orders in for the, the summer show season. Of course. Because you did, because you <laughs> declared it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I declare it. The show season starts six weeks from now. I saw my shadow. <laughs> No, that's the varmint that's about an hour and a half from me. <laughs> <laughs> that's Phil from up north. Oh, yeah. That's right. <laughs> he didn't do too well today. I mean, he, he said six weeks or no more, you know, not six weeks. And I think a high was like 26 here today. So, uh, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, I didn't see many highs going above like 30 out there for a while. So, no, I, I, it'll, it'll be 20, most of the 20s all this week. I think it's supposed to go to like low 40s on Saturday, but rain. So and it's still better than snow. You don't have to shovel rain. Low um, 40s, everybody will be wearing shorts. Oh, you know, yeah, I, it gets to 50. I, 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 I'll, I'll start wearing a jacket when it gets to 60s. 60s I, don't, I don't even wear a jacket then. So anyway, I'm, I, and it's funny because I'm out at the Grand National Road Show walking around and you know, all the little girls running the cash registers at the different food stands and stuff. They're all bundled up in their winter coats and fingerless gloves and beanie caps. And I'm like standing there in my t-shirt and it's just like, it's not cold out. What are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> they're like, yeah, aren't you like, cold? It's no. like 68 degrees out there. And they're like, aren't you freezing? It's like, nah. <laughs> nah, <laughs> I'm not as strong as the Tucci's. The Tucci's, they got it. Yeah. They're, they're a different breed up there in upstate New York. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm not even going to mention that it was 70-something here today. Yeah, uh, thanks. Just rub it in. <laughs> not a problem. <laughs> I went outside. I shoveled all the sunshine off of my driveway. It was a great day. Uh, I know. It's a rough life, but somebody has to do it. <laughs> Shovel the sunshine. That's a great way to put it. 
All hey, right. thank you, Dan, very much, man. Yes. Yep. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. You guys have a good evening. Thanks, you too, man. man. Go get some. Go get a little bit of rest for those, you know, twenty-seven hour days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it, it it doesn't matter because as as much as you you send out the door, you know, like I'll have a good day. I'll get you know, two or three, you know, build up over the weekend or whatever to ship out on Monday, and then you know I'll get three orders or four orders to they come in on that Monday. So it's like ah, I thought I was getting ahead, <laughs> <laughs> but that's a good problem to have. It's that's all yeah. I say. No complaints at all. Indeed. Yeah, that being self-employed thing and have something to do that's always good. It is. And man, if that's if that's the problem you don't mind having, I hope it continues for years, man. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. All right thanks again, man. Yep. Thanks, guys. Right. Thank See you, you sir. See you later. All right. Talk to you soon. Yep. Bye. See ya. Bye. Hey, big thanks to uh, our guest tonight, Dan Baker, for taking time, especially after coming off the road from Detroit and everything like that, man. Um, dude, <laughs> such a good dude. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Dude, I, yeah, I mean, he's, he guys a, a blast, and like I said I don't want to linger on it, but man, I felt really bad about the way our schedule kind of worked out at uh, Grand National. But uh, man, I, I think it was even better to have him here without all that background noise. So, yeah. Well, thank goodness he believes that you know sleep is highly overrated, so he was able to come on tonight, and <laughs> it worked out well for us. <laughs> he was actually at work when he was calling in, so that's that's impressive. He was at lunch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was at lunch. He was at the halfway point of the day, you know, nine thirty at night. <laughs> when does your day end? What day is it? Tuesday. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Three weeks from Thursday. All right, good. Uh, but man, huge thanks to uh, to Dan. And mm. you know, obviously, if you get a chance, uh, go on. We'll we'll have all of his info where you can go check out his stuff on the show notes as we usually do over on our website at uh, roundsixpod.com. And you can check out all of our other episodes, too. And, you know, while you're there, if you think of it, uh, give us a listen over on iTunes and Spotify and Stitcher or whatever your favorite platform is. And, it, man, it, would, it helps us a lot if you guys rate, review, and comment on us. Uh, it lets us bring you, you know, great guests like, like Dan and all of our other guests that we've had so far. And, heck, maybe even some more good ones. More good ones, more better ones. More gooder ones. More, ooh, more gooder ones. Mm. Right, talk about more gooder. And we'll even, we'll even enroll ourselves in an English as a second language course to help you guys out. <laughs> <laughs> Won't you be lucky? So yeah, give us a shot there, and uh, some some really big things on the uh, the horizon, uh, and not uh, not to discount the upcoming fiftieth episode of our show so uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. be sure to tune into that because uh even i don't know where the hell that's going so <laughs> 50th is golden right is that the that's uh, right uh, yes Ooh. okay it's the golden podcast hmm. Ooh. We're, we're going to shower you with grand oh podcasts. i knew that was coming <laughs> <laughs> knew that was coming that's why i kept your eyes shut that's a good man <laughs> turned away <laughs> <laughs> don't look directly at the podcast no. <laughs> we'll try not to cross the streams that's, that's one for you ghostbusters fans yeah hey, nice save um i don't know where to even go after that uh, <laughs> up up <laughs> 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 uh, 
crap. Yeah, man. I uh, it, it was great to grill Dan tonight like that. Hmm. There you <laughs> go. Nice. Well done. So, <laughs> well done. Write that one down in your little book of jokey jokes. So, all right, guys. Um, thanks for uh, thank you for listening to our listeners out there. You guys, thanks for listening too. Hmm. And uh, we'll catch you guys uh, next week again, as I said, for the, uh, the the 50th episode celebration of the Round 6 podcast. Um, as, as always, uh, I, I'm Brian. I'm a, uh, I'm a drenched in WD-40 bread. <laughs> oh, damn it. Oh, man, and I'm just oh, still, Alex, I was trying to think of some bar or grill or <laughs> bar and grill, and I'm done. I was going to go with where like three peas in a pod with that whole golden thing. Oh, there, but I... ooh, that was good. You that like that? It'd be a little late, but it's still good. <laughs> I had to hold that one. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Ow. Thanks again for listening, and be sure to keep up with us gearheads over on our website at www.round6pod.com. And if you'd like to, we invite you to follow along with us over on Facebook, Instagram, and be sure to check out all of our latest videos on youtube.com. <laughs>